According to Nielsen Media Research, the American household in the U.S. Turned on the, in, tuned into television an average of 8 hours and 11 minutes per day. Now, I can sort of picture that. I have an aunt who, for whom television is just background noise all day long. So she's probably the upper end. Um, normal people watch TV on a daily basis, regular basis. Normal people talk knowingly about Survivor and Desperate Housewives and CSI, wherever. I'm not normal. Because I can't talk about those things knowingly. Because I balance out my aunt. If she has the TV on all day, it's just rarely on for me. Um, but one night, I avoided work by watching TV. It was Grey's Anatomy. Anybody ever seen that one? Some yes, some no. The show gives fast-paced flashes. I could tell it was geared toward younger folks. Fast-paced flashes into the lives of interns and doctors in a Seattle hospital. And because it's a nighttime soap opera, you can imagine that sex is a big part of the storyline. But love is the one that we're talking about this morning. Love. Um, one doctor had told another that she loved him and he wasn't ready to say it back. Another doctor had fallen in love with a patient and then the patient died. And that prompted another doctor to tell an intern that he was in love with her. The fact that he's married, of course, caused ethical concerns, but love is in the air. Love is something we all want. We want to feel loved. Most of us. Some of us are comfortable enough just knowing that we're loved, but most of us want to feel loved. And when we don't, we feel rejected. Human love is inconsistent, and that's part of our challenge. In this TV show, the married doctor started looking around because his wife first had cheated on him, and it appeared that she had cheated on him to try to get his attention because she wasn't feeling loved. Love is all around, but it's inconsistent at least for humans. And of course, that's a major difference between Jesus' love and human love. Jesus' love was consistent. Not like our love. Our love too often is conditional on behavior, for example. If you do so-and-so, then I will love you. If you act a certain way, if you do certain things, then I love you. Or if I feel like it, then I'll love you. Jesus' love, in contrast, is deep, rich, and unending. In every story we know about Jesus, he acted out love, healing people, feeding people, encouraging children to approach him, even the times when Jesus got angry. I think he was acting out of love. He wanted people to understand God's love 
from that deep level. And God's love is not based on animal sacrifices in the temple. God's love is not based on human laws that forbade healing on the Sabbath. God's love is based on equality, on what's good for everyone. Have you ever had the experience of meeting someone at a party? You're making generic conversation, and then you find out that this person has a high-powered job. And when you learn that, your ears perk up, and you find yourself a little more interested in this person. Well, I had that experience. And when I realized later, I, I think it was all in my mind, but when I realized it later, I was embarrassed and ashamed of myself that knowing a person's career changed my judgment of her. How unfair. Jesus didn't play favorites. His love was consistent, and he acted out of love to friends and to strangers alike. An advertisement I saw that same TV night was for Liberty Mutual. Maybe some of you have seen it. It displays a series of people caring for unknown others. It starts with a street scene, and a man picks up a toddler's toy and hands it back to the toddler in the stroller. And then the mother of that baby goes into a coffee shop later, and she, as she's walking out, she notices that a man's coffee cup is right on the edge of the table, and so she pushes it back to the table. She doesn't know the guy. She just does something nice. She was inspired. Somebody else is walking out the window, and he sees that woman push that coffee cup back from the edge of the table, and he is inspired to help up a man who has fallen out in the street. And it goes on and on, different scenes like this, so that either the person who has had something nice done to him or her, or another person who has seen it happen is inspired to carry on the kindness and do something nice for someone else, whether it's knocking a person out of a way of something falling or whether it's just letting a driver out into a busy lane of traffic. The kindness continues on and on. Each act, each act is inspired by and expresses non-judging compassion and love. And that's where I think so often we're, we're challenged, that non-judgmental part. Now, sometimes things change. We feel good about a person at first, and then later we're not so sure. A woman invited some people to her family's home for dinner, and at the table she asked her six-year-old daughter if she wanted to have the blessing. The daughter said, well, I, I wouldn't know what to say. And the mom says, just say what you've heard me say. And so they bowed their heads, and the little one prayed, Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? <laughs> Sometimes it changes. Some people are easy to love. Others we can at least tolerate. And then there are a few, usually a very few, but uh, there are a few people who have hurt us. And those are the people who are especially hard to love. Will Willimon 
the former dean of the chapel at Duke University, remembers a man who had wronged him, in his opinion. This person had blocked his receiving a grant for the ministry there. He, he, was, he sat on this board, this other, the enemy sat on the board of this foundation, and he, he blocked the grant because he disagreed with Willimon's politics. Now, it wasn't like Reverend Willimon was going to use the money himself. He would have used it for the ministry. And he writes, I felt particular, particularly justified in my anger toward him, indeed my hatred of him, because he had done an injustice toward my church, blaming his action on his regard for me. We too feel justified in not liking or even hating some people. But according to Jesus, that does not give us the right or to, to not show them the same love and care that we show our dearest friends. We know love by this, says the letter, verse 16, that Jesus laid down his life for us. We know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Do you think that us was meant just for the people who would receive that first letter? Do you think that that us means only the people who believe in Jesus Christ? Could it be that that us is the whole world? I think so. Jesus died for everyone. That us is collective. It is globally collective. It is eternally collective. Jesus showed the most powerful form of love for us, all of us. Laid down his life for every person who lived, who will live unequivocally. So do you know that what that means for followers of Jesus Christ? This is our hard news, that we're commanded to do the same. We're not just asked. This is God's commandment, says verse 23, that we should believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ, the anointed one who saves and love one another just as he commanded us. Love is a verb, an action word, and love is a choice. It's not just sappy words and pink and red hearts splattered over a greeting card. It's not just a fluttery feeling in our gut. That stuff fades away. Love is a choice. It's a choice we make to be committed to those who deserve love as well as those we deem undeserving.
God couldn't care less about whether we deserve love or not. That's grace. God loves no matter what. God is love, we read in this next chapter of 1 John. God is love. The character of God is love. Our transformation journals are dealing with the character of Christ this coming year. So who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus, God's Son? Jesus is the embodiment of God, the body, the physical being of God that came to our world. The incarnation is another word we use. The flesh of God. Jesus is the one who teaches us how to love. In the magazine Christianity Today, former televangelist Jim Baker spoke of events that occurred immediately after his release from prison. He says that when he was transferred to his last prison, Franklin Graham, son of Billy Graham, had said that he wanted to help when Baker got out. He wanted to help with a job, with a house to live in, with a car. This was Baker's fifth Christmas in prison. And during that season, Baker was thinking it over, and finally he said back to Franklin Graham, you can't do this. This will hurt you. The Grahams don't need my baggage. And Franklin Graham looked at Baker and said, Jim, you were my friend in the past, and you are my friend now. If anyone doesn't like it, I'm looking for a fight. So when he got out of prison, the Grahams sponsored Baker and paid for a house for him to live in, gave him a car to drive. The first Sunday out, Ruth Graham called the halfway house he was living in at the Salvation Army and asked permission for him to go to the Montreat Presbyterian Church with her that Sunday morning. When he got there, the pastor welcomed him and sat him with the Graham family. Two whole rows of them, he says. It seemed every Graham aunt and uncle and cousin was there. The organ began playing and the place was full except for a seat near Jim Baker. Then the doors opened and in walked Ruth Graham. She walked down that aisle and sat next to inmate 07407-058. He had only been out of prison 48 hours, but Ruth Graham, by her act of love, told the world that morning that Jim Baker was her friend. Consistent love is a choice. Jesus made that choice again and again and again. This week, we're going to have opportunities to treat people with disdain and neglect. We're going to have chances to ignore people or listen to them. 
Some t- someone this week is going to force us to decide whether to let our anxiety and blood pressure spike or to remain calm. We will make multiple decisions this week on how to treat people, whether to treat people as we want to treat them, the way that we feel they deserve, or as Jesus would treat them. Let me quote from another sermon. I'll tell you whose it is when I'm done so that you don't judge the story based on the author. My brother and I were driving one evening to Chattanooga, Tennessee from Atlanta. He was driving the car. And for some reason, the drivers were very discourteous that night. They didn't dim their lights. Hardly any driver that passed by dimmed his lights. And I remember very vividly my brother A.D. looking over in a tone of anger saying, I know what I'm going to do. The next car that comes along here and refuses to dim the lights... I'm going to fail to dim mine and pour them on in all of their power. And I looked at him right quick and I said, Oh no, don't do that. There'd be too much light on this highway and it will end up in mutual destruction for all. Somebody's got to have some sense on this highway. The preacher continued, Somebody must have sense enough to dim the lights. And that's the trouble, isn't it? As all of the civilizations of the world move up the highway of history, so many civilizations, having looked at other civilizations that refused to dim the lights, decided to refuse to dim theirs. And Toynbee tells that out of the 22 civilizations that have risen up, all but about seven have found themselves in a junk heap of destruction. It is because civilizations fail to have sense enough to dim their lights. And if somebody doesn't have sense enough to turn on the dim and beautiful and powerful lights of love in this world, the whole of our civilization will be plunged into the abyss of destruction. And we will all end up destroyed because nobody had any sense on the highway of history. Somewhere, somebody must have some sense. Men must see that force begets force. Hate begets hate. Toughness begets toughness. And it is all a descending spiral ultimately ending in destruction for all and for everybody. Somebody must have sense enough and morality enough to cut off the chain of hate and the chain of evil in the universe. And you do that by love. Martin Luther King, Jr., Jesus said, I always do what is pleasing to the ones who sent me. I always do what is pleasing to the one who sent me. And Jesus also said, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. 
Who is Jesus? Jesus is decisive, unconditional, consistent love. Who are you? Let's pray. Lord, teach us how to love as you have loved us. Teach us to love the unloved and the unlovable. Teach us to see others as you see them. Teach us to see ourselves in the light of your forgiving, forbearing love. Amen.